welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 260, I Get To or I Have To Write, an interview with Sean Smucker, coming to you on Thursday, August 12th, 2021. I love talking to Sean. This is the third time you've been on the show. And I think every time I, I find more interesting conversational topics for the two of us to cover. And we cover a lot of topics in this particular show. Uh, we talk about uh, how to get your um, fun back into your writing, how to get your attitude back into thinking of it as something that you love to do rather than something that you have to do. Uh, we talk about... Um, the interesting things that he thought about differently when he was writing his newest book that we're talking about. Uh, we had a lot of great uh, conversation and tips about how to write through hard times or tough times. And I think that you're really going to find a lot of uh, great information. Also, Sean's just fun to talk to. So he's got a great attitude, positive, upbeat personality, great laugh. So this is also just an episode that will make you feel good listening to a couple of writers talk about writing. You can pretend that you're here in the conversation with us and have a really good time with this interview. I hope you enjoy it and that it gives you some helpful, useful tips in your writing and in your writing life. Here we are talking with Sean. Today's guest is Sean Smucker. Sean is the award-winning author of Light from Distant Stars and These Nameless Things, the young adult novels, The Day the Angels Fell and The Edge of Over There, and the memoir, Once We Were Strangers, which I just have to say I love. He lives with his wife and six children in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Kitty. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. It's great to see you. You were here twice in 2018, and the second time it was for that Once We Were Strangers. I've never interrupted reading someone's bio to say, by the way, I love this book. That was a first for me. <laughs> but wow, that's such a great book. Oh, thanks. I was just messaging Muhammad, actually, earlier today. We lost touch a little bit. I mean, he moved out to Michigan, so we don't see each other anymore. And our messages are kind of sporadic, but we have been getting back in touch a little bit more. That's so cool. I yeah. always think, would it be like, I'm sure it would be too weird and I'm sure I wouldn't actually do it. But you know, writers, we, we're always thinking up stories about things that could happen, you know, in our heads. And I'm like, I could yeah. go home to visit my family in Michigan and I could be like, hi, Muhammad. I thought I'd just invite you over for oh, coffee. Oh, he because... would love that. Oh, really? He would love that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I read your story and it was really cool and inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> And I have to say, especially now that I'm the foreigner in another country mm. who can't speak the language and can't understand the word between this word and this word, they look exactly alike to me and laughing at words that um, like, like fart, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. I finally figured out that, and I'm probably saying this terribly wrong, um, utfart is the word for um, a car exit. Like that's the car exit. Oh, okay. But for months, and now it's been three years, and here I am still giggling. My friend asked me, my Swedish friend, they asked me the other day, do you still giggle every time you see the word fart? I'm like, yeah. only if somebody <laughs> mentions it. So yes. <laughs> That's so funny. How long have you lived there now? Three years. Okay. All yeah. right. It feels like seven months. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I totally love it so much. Everybody mm, is just awesome. so nice to us. And we really are trying with the language, but it's really hard because John's work um, works in English and my work, mm. I work in English. 
So it's yeah. plus we go to an international church. So that's in English. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. the the people that I meet, uh, so many of them, they're they're looking for an excuse to speak English. So then right. I say something terrible in Swedish and then they'll be like, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I have a few phrases. Hot and bra dog. Have a nice day. I try okay. to say that all the time. Um, okay. Hey, do is goodbye. And hey is hello. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I know. Hey, hey is what we say yeah. in Michigan for hello. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. And then for places that I go to all the time, like um, where did, I was at the um, like health food store today mm -hmm. and but it was someplace yesterday and I was like, you know what? I'm here all the time. Instead of saying, uh, hey, though, I'm just going to say Vsace because that's um, I'll see you later or we'll see each other again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's so cool. They just laugh. I think they think I'm cute. Uh, they, they act like they think I'm nice and not weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so hopefully Muhammad gets that experience as an American. I kind of feel like he mm. might not be, but, um, but it certainly has made me appreciate a lot more how I used to live when I lived in America yeah. and how much yeah. more like empathetic I want to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. But we're not here to talk about that book as much as I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and I need to let you talk, Sean. So I'm going to ask you, tell us the name of the new book. So even though you and I are talking in May, by the time this goes out, your book will have been out for about a month. So congratulations, you have a new book. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, feels great. <laughs> so tell us what's the title and a little bit about it. Sure. The book is called The Weight of Memory. And it's a book about a man named Paul who's in his late 50s. He's raising his granddaughter and he receives a terminal diagnosis. So he decides that he's going to take his granddaughter back to the town where he grew up, kind of in the hopes that he can find someone who will take her in, someone he knows who can take care of her because he has no other family. He gets back to the town. The town's called Nisa. And he starts to have, well, his granddaughter is kind of an eccentric little girl. Like she's, she's always making things up, always imagining things. And so she starts to tell him stories about this strange woman who's coming to her at night and taking her on trips around the island, which is kind of unsettling to Paul, but he's not really sure how seriously to take it. But he also, while he, when he comes back, he realizes that he doesn't really know everything about the death of his wife. And she died 40 years before when they had just been married, he had just turned 18. Um, and then she died in an accident. And he's starting to realize that he doesn't really know all of the details about about her passing and and the things that he does know he's starting to call into question so he's in his old hometown he's received a terminal diagnosis his daughter or his granddaughter is making things up he thinks and that's that's sort of where he finds himself in the story Wow. And I'm just at the place. So um, you're my third interview this week. I had a lot of books I was trying to read, so I'm not done, yeah. but I'm just in the place where I'm like, okay, relax, Kitty, you can go to sleep. You, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen next because Sean doesn't write Joe Hill books. This is yeah. not going to be a horror story, <laughs> but I'm at the point where if this were a Joe Hill book, I'd be like, I can't sleep now. I can't sleep because he's just, um, he's just gotten gas from, from the guy. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. My, my son was reading the book and he's uh, almost 18. And, and at one point he came down in the morning and he was like, dad, 
this story's keeping me up at night. It's kind of creepy. It's creepier than your other stories. <laughs> so I had to laugh at that. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, I love that kind of stuff anyway. So if you write yeah. something that gets even more creepy, like I totally will be one of your beta readers if you want or anything. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. So um, when you, I was reading your um, press release, I didn't really think about this. I've read most of your books, I think. Um, but if I remember right, in your press release, it says that you kind of um, have a theme of death and dying and memory and throughout your writing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because not everybody is aware of the themes that they write about yet. And it's interesting that, that you've identified this and that it's, I mean, kind of unusual. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is strange. It's not, it's not something that I plan going into the novels. It's not that I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write another book where death is a central theme, but it, it has turned out that way. And I think it's because I just have so many questions, you know, personally about death, uh, what happens when we die exactly, what that's like. Um, and then similarly, when it comes to memory, you know, I'm just very curious about memory, about how we create our memories, how our memories impact um, how we live and how our memories impact uh, what we think about our past and where we've come from. I was just speaking with someone, oh, who were we talking to? And they were saying how interesting it is when it comes to memory, how we make things up um, after the fact. So, oh, I was reading uh, Soundtracks by John Acuff, and he talks a little bit about how uh, there's this study that was done right after 9-11 where they asked college students, where were you and, and how did you find out about 9-11? And so they wrote down, you know, this is exactly what happened. And this was uh, just within a couple of days. So these were obviously correct. Like, this is how I heard about it. This is my memory. And then he said in this study, they went back to these same kids three years later and said, hey, how did you, how did you, where were you and how did you find out about 9-11? And 40% of the kids who they did this with had completely different memories about where they were and how they heard about 9-11 to the point that they even showed these, you know, now early 20s, they showed them, okay, look, this is you, like you wrote this, this is how you heard about 9-11 and where you are, and this is what you're now saying, and they don't match up at all, and the person had no explanation. They, they, in fact, a lot of them were like, if this wasn't in my handwriting, I wouldn't believe that this is what I had said because they had created a completely new memory in their head. Like, you know, for whatever reason, over the, the period of three years, thinking back over their experience, they had just somehow, um, and it, it's kind of like the, the whole, you know, the, uh, pass it down the line, the old telephone game where you have yeah. a word, you tell the next person. It's kind of what we do in our minds where this thing just changes subtly over time. And I think that's fascinating. I think that memory is not, you know, our recollection of historical fact. Memory is very much um, how we choose to remember the things that happened to us in the past. And so, um, you know, that's because that's such a fascinating concept to me. I do enjoy playing around with that uh, in my stories. And yeah, it's just been in most of the books that I've written. 
Wow, that's really cool. And my only real experience with that um, was when my mother was dying. Um, thank you, God, we actually had a, enough time. Everybody was able to get there. I got to spend two weeks with her. Um, the rest of the, my siblings got to spend at least a few days. And so there was a lot of time when um, all four of her children and her were in the hospital room together for like wow. hours and yeah. hours at a time. And yeah. the things that we started mostly jokingly arguing about had yeah. to do with our memories of childhood. And, and my brother would be like, no way. That is not what happened. My sister, absolutely. And then me and my little sister yes. are like, I don't really remember this at all, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then my mom would be laughing. She's like, you're all wrong, you know? <laughs> yes. No, it's so, it is really, it, it's actually hilarious. So I, I co-write and ghostwrite books for a living. It's one of the things that I do. And a client that I had about five years ago, she was in her early 90s, sharp as a tack. And so I was helping her write her memoirs. And eventually we pulled in her kids and one of her sons joined us one day as we were talking back through one of these memories. And this was a really major memory. So this was her husband died when she was in her early 30s, her first husband. And she remembers taking her son to baseball practice, dropping him off, and then going down to the marina where she was going to meet her husband well he had had a stroke and they were bringing him in on a boat and an ambulance was waiting and so she has very specific memories of this obviously it's a very traumatic event and as she's telling me this story her son was like no mom i was there i was on the i was in the marina with you and i remember them bringing dad in on the boat putting him in the back of the ambulance and she's like no you were not i dropped you off at baseball practice i remember that specifically and he just insisted, you know, and, and it's so, it was so interesting to me. And I think that probably was sort of at the beginning of my fascination with memory, but it's so interesting to me that a, a major, major event like that, um, where they're really, you would think there would be no room for gray area, like either you were there or you were not there, right. um, that they both thought they were right. You know, I mean, they, were, they both had created memories and one of them is clearly wrong. One of them obviously either picked up on, you know, like maybe the son sort of assumed the memories of the mom where she saw her, her husband and, and getting into the ambulance, or maybe the mom sort of blocked it out. Like, you know, it was just as soon as she got there, she, she realized there was an accident taking place. But whatever the case, it really calls into question, you know, for me, a lot of the memories that I have about my childhood and makes me wonder, okay, but it also helps me, I think, to have a little bit more grace with myself and with other people, just to think that, you know, I may not be remembering this correctly. I may not, you know, this, this to me has become a formative event in my life, but I might be wrong. Like that might not be exactly how it happened. Um, it's just really interesting to think about. Yeah. And then when you think of all the other places where what somebody remembers doing or seeing or saying comes into play, um, not the least of which would be, you know, like a police investigation, but mm -hmm. all the other things in our lives where we're telling somebody what happened for a reason that's not just, you know, to tell the story. And then you're like, how many times have I done that wrong? And yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so weird. I mean, it's super cool. <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and so then in the weight of memory for me, that became, um, you know, a very interesting and important part of the story where you have this event um, where Paul's wife had died when he was 18 and he's thinking back on that and he's thinking back on his friendships. Um, 
yeah, and it, it just made me think a lot about about my own childhood, my own friendships, and what I'm, what am I taking away from those things? You know, what, uh, what hard feelings am I holding on to? Where if I would maybe just, you know, change the story just a hair in my mind, would that change everything for me as far as, you know, how I feel about people or the things that I hold against them? Yeah, I've thought about it from both perspectives because um, every once in a while I'll be kind of mad about something and then I'll think, okay, how many times have I thought that I was probably a really nice person in high school, but that person wasn't? And I'm like, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I just thought I was, but I don't realize like how many things I was throwing out there into the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's so true. So true. Well, what a fun thing to play around with. Do you think it'll probably just sort of probably keep popping up in your fiction? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I've been, since um, The Weight of Memory has come out, I've been working on a murder mystery. <gasps> and cool. that, it's it's a little bit different. You know, it's a little bit different. So I've been, we have this class that we run called The Nine Month Novel. And um our website is called thestoriesbetweenus.com and that's where all of our classes are listed. And during these classes, I've been thinking a lot about story and structure. And um, I, th- I think I want in this book to lean a little bit more into story. Um, much of what I write is, um, I feel like the weight of memory was sort of the beginning of this shift with me where there's much more it's much more story-based um, and, but I want to, I want to explore that more. And so it's been fun to talk about that in our class and to play around with that when it comes to this murder mystery. Um, I, it's a murder mystery, so there's death in it. Um, but I don't feel like death is one of the major themes. I feel like the themes that I'm working at with this have more to do with um, the effects of fundamentalism and um uh, forgiveness. And so the themes are a little bit different. Yeah. Oh, that my mind is like going off on like 42 directions. I'm like, Oh, well we could talk about, but no, no, come on, (laughs) bring it back around kitty. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not going to go off on a rabbit trail, but, um, this idea of, of focusing more on, on story, this is very interesting to me because I'm like, what were you writing before? But you were telling me that you've been um, uh, getting a lot out of James Scott Bell's plot and structure book. Is that partly where you're coming from? So is it more like a plotting and structuring of story? Yeah. And I think you're right. Like we're writing novels, right? So there's got to be a story there. Um, I think the change in emphasis for me is maybe being more deliberate and just thinking more about the three-act structure specifically. He has some great stuff in that book, in, in the book Plot and Structure, when it comes to your the gateways between the acts. So you have your act one, your act two, your act three, but what are the, what are the doorways between those? And so that's been something I've been thinking a lot about with this murder mystery and um, his argument, which I think is is a really important thing for novelists to think about, is that unless you have a really compelling doorway of no return between act one and act two, um, your reader is really going to start to wonder either consciously or subconsciously, why is this character even involved in this? Like, because most of us as people, our default is avoid conflict, take the easy path, 
you know, like, like it's very unusual for, it wouldn't make sense if you found out that Sean Smucker just decided to get in his car today and drive and leave everything, right? Like that, that alone wouldn't make any sense because our default is to continue in the life that we're living. Um, There has to be a really compelling reason for me to leave my family, leave my work, leave my house, like leave everything, hop in the van and drive West like that. There would have to be really compelling reason. And yet many times we write our novels and we don't provide these really compelling reasons for our protagonists to go on an adventure for our protagonists to make a big change for our protagonists, you know, to change from the inside out. We just, especially as beginning novelists, I think we're really quick to just impose the story on them and say, this is what happened next instead of giving this doorway of no return. So I've been thinking a lot about that with this story. You know, what is the compelling thing that drives my protagonist into involvement with these murder mysteries, you know, because he's a normal guy. Like, why wouldn't he just say, eh, no, thanks. I'm just going to keep doing my job. I'm going to keep going home at night. Like, I don't need to get involved in this. So there needs to be this compelling thing. And then same thing from act two to act three. Like you need to have another doorway where the reader is, is really in a believable way drawn through into the third act. Um, Because otherwise, why, you know, why would your protagonist do that? So that's been that's been one major thing that this book has has impacted me. And when I stay when I say I'm really focusing on story, I think it is um, it's me trying to figure out how to implement some of the things that that he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. Some of my favorite places in stories, um, any kind of story. So it can be, you know, um, a novel, a TV show, a movie, and sometimes just a really good song. Um, Some of my favorite places are the point where um, my brain says, this is the decision time. And I start really, really paying attention is she going to decide this or this and how much will it affect your life? Will it not be, you know, any effect or will it change everything? You know, and of course in the novel, it changes everything. Right. And I love those moments because I'm like, Oh oh my gosh. Oh yeah, totally. Like that, that as a reader, that is what you can't turn, you can't turn back. Right. Like when a good doorway of no return happens, you're not going to close that book now until you find out. Like I think of the Hunger Games and when Katniss Everdeen raises her hand, like her her sister is chosen to go into the Hunger Games. And when she raises her hand and says, I volunteer as tribute, like, whoa, that like, that is it. You're in it now. Like you, if you've made it that far in the book, you're going to read it to the end because you, you think this is, I, I did not see that coming. And um, her life is over now. Like her yeah. life is, this is it. This is it for her. And I, and when you, most really, really good books, you can look back and, and you can see when those things happen. Yeah. And I think as a writer, I want to, you know, James Scott Bell talks about how the three act structure is this ancient, like th- this is how we've told stories for as long as we've recorded stories anyway, like they're, they've been told in this three act beginning, middle and end. Yeah. And I think as a writer, it would be, it would be kind of silly for us not to use the strengths of that because it's obviously something that taps into like our primal 
um, desire and the way that we hear stories, the way we engage with stories. And so I think as a writer, it just makes sense that, that we would, um, that we would work hard to understand that structure and, and to engage our readers through that structure. Yeah. You know, I've had Lisa Cron on the show a few times now. Uh, she's the author of Wired for Story and Story Genius. Mm. Yep. And um, I, I love the way that she looks at story and, and, and kind of, you know, goes into it and takes it apart. And, um, and she talks about, you know, that, uh, you know, cavemen originally were probably saying, don't eat the red berries because Fred just mm -hmm. had red berries and, he, and he's dead. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. That, that big cat that looks like he'd be really pretty to pet. Don't do it. He's going to bite your arm off, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we had really good reasons for some of the storytelling that we did. And, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And she says that even now in our current um, you know, we think we're so far away from caveman days and yes, but we still need to know things like she's saying, um, what we read in novels helps us to figure out how am I going to go through this social situation? If this happens to me, mm, like, will yeah. I be the friend who, um, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know what to say because your spouse died that like, I'm just not going to talk to you for seven months. Or will I be mm -hmm. the friend who says really stupid things, but you're glad I'm around. Or will I be the one who says really stupid things? And you're like, please go away and never talk to me again. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, who will I be? And how will I, how will I make these decisions? And so when mm -hmm. a story, like you were saying, the hunger games, um, like in my mind, I'm thinking, well, okay, if I raise my hand and say, I'm going to take my sister's place, you know, even though I might die, but at least I know for sure she would probably die. So I have a better chance. Yeah. But then maybe I think in my world, somebody might say, okay, <clears throat> first of all, Kitty, um, do you know that this is like to the death and this mm -hmm. and this, and I could be like, oh yeah. Okay. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to take that back. So I'm sorry. I'm, mm. I'm going to let my sister go through with it because mm -hmm. now I have an, some new ideas and I'm going to change my mind. When, when somebody writes a story where not only do you get to this decision-making place where you know that everything's about ready to change, but when you make it that once you make the decision, that's like literally no going back because in this awful, awful world she lives in, once she yeah. raises her hand, there is yeah. no taking it back. Right, exactly. And, and the author has shown us already, this is a terrible place. And as soon as you mm -hmm. would do something like that, you're in. Yes. And that's, that's the beauty of a well-told story, right? Because like you're saying, if, if you write this story in a different way, that moment might not be that compelling because you might be thinking, okay, Katniss, you just need to change your mind, you know, and then everything can go back to normal, which, you know, in our real life is what we, what we tend to do. Like, even when we make big decisions, a lot of times we're like, ah, I don't think I'm going to do that after all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you really do as a writer, you have to create this situation where there is no going back, you know, because we as humans, we recognize that our default is not to go through with this stuff. So, you know, you make a great point. Like when we're writing these stories, we have to figure out how can we present these situations in a believable way? Because we as humans are pretty wishy-washy. We're pretty like, I don't know. I don't think I want to do that after all. Um, and that really changes the way that we can read stories. Yeah. Yeah. That is totally me. You just described me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of us, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's all of us until we're put in these situations. And I love the point that you make about how novels help us um, they help us picture ourselves in a different way. You know, they help us see that maybe I could be brave, you know, maybe I could be 
the one who would take that person's place or, you know, and maybe we're not even talking about death, but maybe we're talking about speaking up when someone is being treated poorly, or maybe we're talking about, um, yeah, like standing up for someone when, when they need it. And, um, and maybe somehow reading the hunger games or reading other novels where, where the protagonist does that, maybe that exposes us to that kind of bravery. It exposes us to that kind of um, selflessness, you know, yeah. in a way that, in a way that we can, we can bring that into our real life. I mean, that's what I would hope. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like um, the scene. So I, I haven't, I haven't actually read the books all the way through, but I've seen the Lord of the Rings movies like 49 times. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite parts, again, because it's the decision moment, um, Frodo and Sam and the other guys, they're going home. They did what they needed to do. All the people who like fight for a living and this is what they do, they've got it under control. And then all these things happen. And then Frodo like opens his mouth and says, I'll do it. Like, what are you thinking? Right. Yeah. Now, I'll take the ring though. I do not know the way. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. And then I'm thinking, okay, I don't know that I would have done that. I'm pretty sure I probably would have gone back home, but then, and I'm not going to cry, even though I love <laughs> Samwise Gamgee is my favorite character in all the stories. But when Sam yeah. says that he'll go just mm -hmm. to try to protect Frodo and to be yeah. his moral support and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be that person. Like, I don't really mm -hmm. care whether or not I'm Frodo. I want to be Sam. <laughs> yes, yes. And you know, the beautiful thing about that story is that Tolkien somehow created this extremely rounded character in Frodo who that's believable. Like when he makes that statement, I'll go, though I do not know the way. It, it fits, right? Like it fits with who he is. And then like you're saying, when Sam pipes in and is like, hey, I'm going, I mean, that fits even more. Like you don't doubt that at all. Like you know who Samwise Gamgee is and you know how much he loves Frodo. And so his his voicing that saying, I'm going to, it's all believable. And that's that's kind of like the doorway, right? Like from there, they can't go back. Like once they commit to that, this is the mission. This is where they're going. Um, and yeah, I love that point that you make. I also feel like, you know, when we talk about, um, we talk about how novels and stories can teach us how to feel or teach us how to think. Um, I think about the scene at the end in the Fellowship of the Ring where Pippin is sitting with Gandalf and they're, they're like about to get, like these guys are pounding on the gates. The enemy is about to come in and Pippin says, you know, basically he's, he's afraid to die. Like, aren't you afraid? And Gandalf says, afraid, you know, why, why would you be afraid? This is what's going to happen. And he, and he explains, you know, um, just gives this beautiful scene of what to expect after death. And then Pippin says, oh, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? And again, I feel like here's a story where we can have someone else show us what it's like to die, you know, like, what does it look like to approach death without fear, without sadness, um, without regret? And again, this is all in a novel, right? But this is what stories can do for us. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's why I read and it's why I write. And 
I actually, I'm in this business coaching program and there was uh, some time where some people were like, you need to just like put off the writing for a little bit, just a couple of months. Like we, we need to focus on this thing that you wanted to grow. And I tried and then I like was just coming undone. And finally I was like crying on a call and, and, but it was a new person I was talking to and she's like, okay, um, anytime that there's something going on in your life that you feel that strongly about when you can't do it, like you need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Thank yeah. you for understanding me. <laughs> yes. No, it's so true. And I think, you know, a lot of us are caught up in that right now, right? Like we want to write, we want to be working on the things that mean so much to us. And yet here we are at the tail end of a pandemic, hopefully the tail end. And we've got all kinds of chaos. We've got kids schooling at home. We've got, you know, people working at home. Our spouses are maybe working at home when they hadn't before. There's just so much upheaval and change. And yet, you know, we want to be writing and it, it, it's such a, it's such a internally conflicted time, I think, especially for creative people. Yeah. And like we were talking before we started recording, there are so many, I mean, you said this, there are so many really good reasons not to be writing. You're about ready to move house. Now that I've lived in Australia, I can't remember how to say it in the US way, um, just to move. We, we just say to move, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you're about ready to move. And, you know, uh, for you and I right now, when we're talking like summer's coming up soon and, you know, what are our plans? And, and then there's things like, oh, there's some new thing that maybe I should just do some research about to make sure that I'm keeping my family safe in the way that I want to. So many reasons why, okay, I'm just gonna skip today's writing session and get back on the horse tomorrow. So let's talk about that a little bit, because that is not just pandemic related, but I'm yeah. sure that you've had a lot of stuff in the last year that certainly changed your writing schedule. But even even today, like when we're done, you'll probably have to do some writing stuff and some packing stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, you know, it's been so interesting for me with this class that we're doing the nine month novel. We've got about 25 students and it's, it's kind of, it's been good because it's shown me from the outside how it looks, you know, like I have all this internal dialogue about why I'm not going to write or why I'm struggling to write or why I am writing. But now I get to see that from the outside and talk with, you know, 25 writers about what's motivating to them. Why are they in a good stretch of writing? Why are they struggling to put the time in, you know? And I, and what it's, what it's sort of pointed out to me is like you said, we all have completely legitimate reasons not to write. And I, and I do mean that. I'm not saying that sarcastically or um, I, I, don't, I don't feel like any of us should feel any shame for not writing because all of us, for the most part, have very busy lives. We have lots of very important things to do. And then even beyond that, most of us are dealing with unexpected things. We're dealing with traumatic things. Maybe we have a parent who's, who's dying or recently passed. Maybe, um, you know, we've, we've had upheaval at work. And so we've either lost our job or we're changing positions, or we have a new boss who's driving us, you know, crazy. Um, there's just always things going on, you know, like we have six kids and at some point um, or at any given point, one of them is probably giving us a lot to think about, you know, with either relationships or what they're involved in or struggles that they're having. Um, 
So there are just a myriad of reasons why not to write. Okay. So we all have that. We all have legitimate and there's no reason to feel shame about that. I think the real question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this, is this something that I am willing to put almost at the top of my list? You know, like, I mean, for me, my wife comes first, my kids come first, God comes first. But after that, writing is going to have to be pretty high on the list if I'm going to finish these books that I want to write. And that's what I'm seeing, you know, like some of my, some of our students, um, they're struggling with, uh, with work stuff, you know, like they're, they're, they've been, they have to work overtime or they have a new boss. And so, you know, they're really just finding it hard to find time to write. And I get it. Like that's, I'm not saying that they should, I'm not, I'm not saying you should make time to write, you know, but I am saying that this is probably going to be most of the rest of your life. And so we have to figure it out. If you want to write, you have to figure it out. And, you know, during the pandemic, um, I struggled with some depression and uh, with motivation. I was not feeling motivated. Fortunately, I had just about finished the weight of memory by, you know, March, April, May of 2020. And so after that, mostly what was left to do would be revisions and things like that. Um, So it it was hard, you know, it's hard. I have not been in like a wonderful writing um, schedule. And some of that is because I'm kind of in a revision stage with this murder mystery. So I'm not in like the daily thousand words a day I try and do, but um, yeah, it's a struggle. And even Miley, just the other day, a couple days ago, I was just telling about all the things I was getting packed, you know, I packed up the basement and I was doing this. And, and she just kind of looked at me and she was like, are you going to get your revisions done or are <laughs> you just avoiding it? You know? And, and it was true. I was completely avoiding it. I'm still completely avoiding it. But what I'm realizing is, okay, I could tell myself now, okay, I'm not going to write today and tomorrow. And I'm not going to write next week because we're moving on Saturday, you know? So that's, that's a week and a half. But once we move, I mean, it's going to take two or three weeks at least to kind of get our feet under us again, figure out what our routines are. Um, So then I could say, well, I'll start writing in, you know, the end of June. Um, July is a really busy month. I release the weight of memory. We've got all kinds of stuff going on in July. Okay, July is going to be busy. Maybe, maybe August I can finish these revisions, you know. Well, August we go to the mountains and August we're going to have to really, we've got two fairs that we do businesses at and the kids are going to all six of our kids are going back to school this year in new schools. That's August, September, October. Okay. Well, November's Thanksgiving. So we'll be in Tennessee for a week. And then Chris, I mean, you will go on the rest of your life and there are always going to be legitimate excuses not to write. And, and so for me, it really comes back to, okay, you know what? We move in seven days. How, what can I get done before that? you know, how much of this revision can I get, can I get out? And then even after we move, okay, I've got to carve out some time. I have to, because I'm a writer and I want to write and I want to be producing books. I want to be putting books out into the world that people love. And that's not going to happen if I don't make it an absolute priority. Yeah. You know, um, in my business coaching program that I'm in, and there's a few hundred people, (laughs) 
I can't remember uh, who the quote is attributed to, and this is paraphrasing it, but um, that we overestimate how much we can get done in a year and under sorry, overestimate how much we can get done in a day and underestimate how much we can get done in a year. And all the things that you said, like I've had that conversation with myself more than once, <laughs> yeah. but then I start thinking about, okay, in terms of this interesting quote, which I hadn't really heard or thought about until a few months ago, I'm like, okay, so if I can't get in two hours of writing today, that doesn't mean I shouldn't do any, mm -hmm. you know, like what, yes. what could I do? Okay, I need to find out more about food trucks because the hero like is helping its family with the food truck business. Mm -hmm. And I need to know at least a tiny bit about what a wills and estate attorney does because that's what he does for his day job. So okay. if I have 15 minutes for the next, you know, three or four days when I'm super duper busy and I am really busy, I could just set a timer for 15 minutes and be like, wills and estates attorneys go. And I would probably yes. actually not only get some work done that needs to be done, but I would save time because if I had two hour writing block, I wouldn't spend 15 minutes Googling it. I would probably spend yeah. an hour Googling it <laughs> exactly, and I would still yeah. have less time for writing. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. I love that point. And, you know, most of us, it's probably true that we could work a little better if we had like three or four hours instead of 15 minutes, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's probably true. But the really interesting thing is, uh, and Miley pointed this out to me and it became a really encouraging little tidbit for her was she was reading one of Kate DiCamillo's books. So, um, you know, multiple Newbery award winner, um, wrote the tale of Despero and some other really wonderful books. She writes in one of her little autobiographies at the back or like a bio, she, she writes living in, and I think she lives in Minnesota living in Minnesota where I faithful or where she faithfully writes 200 words a day. And I thought you've got a Newbery award winner, multi, one of the few people in the world who's won more than one Newbery. She writes beautifully. She puts out about a book a year or every 18 months and she's writing 200 words a day. Like, I could write 200 words in probably, I don't know, how fast can I type? I could right. probably type 60 words Ten. a minute. So, you know, you're talking five minutes, 10 minutes. Now that's going to be pretty rough. But if you do that every day, you have a novel in 300 days, right? Like that's a, that's a novel. So um, that's been something that Miley and I will often challenge each other with when we are in times where you have legitimate excuses, where you you're anxious or depressed or, you know, there are, there's something going on that's just taking up a lot of your head spaces to say, look, 200 words, like you can write 200 words today. Yeah. And you know, another thing, um, I actually, this is really bizarre, but uh, during the pandemic, aside from gaming, gaining the pandemic 10, you know, like the yeah. freshman 15, <laughs> uh, which I'm working on now, um, but just all of life circumstances came together in such a way that this has actually been a super blessed time for me. Um, and I don't use that word lightly. Like I feel kind of guilty for how mm. great a year that I've had because yeah. I have not been traveling like I used to. Um, I have not been overextending myself with all the things that I would volunteer to do because I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't actually mm. volunteer to do anything. Yeah. Um, there was all these things that I wasn't doing suddenly 
and my stress level went way down and yeah. my relationship with my husband, which is always fabulous, was just my gosh, we have laughed so much because we're That's around awesome. each other all the time. So yeah. it, in a certain amount of way, there's a certain amount of, um, you're going to have to, you know, kill them with laughter or just kill them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So all of these things going on, but, um, but a couple of years before that, I was in a terrible state. Um, I, I didn't know what uh, burnout was and I didn't realize how badly I'd gotten into it and for how long I'd been into it. Um, I just it got to the point when I, I just couldn't get up off the couch and I was like, I need to Google what's wrong with me, but I don't even know where to start. I started figuring it out and, um, and I was giving myself a lot of grace. Thank you, God, for teaching me about grace. Mm. Um, but eventually I was like, I want to write, but I don't want to have to write. And so mm -hmm. I decided to write something so far away from what um, I normally write to produce, mm -hmm. to, to publish, so that it wouldn't give me any sense of pressure. Like, oh, mm -hmm. this, this actually is a pretty good romantic comedy. You should mm -hmm. finish it and you should, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I wrote this ridiculous uh, first person, um, she dies in the first chapter. So it's about her as a ghost. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's like, got all these scenes that totally make me cry and all these scenes that totally make me laugh. And it's kind of um, medium TV show meets castle TV show. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I was having so much fun with it. And I was like, okay, this is good. I found something that I hope this never happens to me again. But if it ever does, or if I you know, talk to somebody else, mm -hmm. then I just want to remember writing something that there is just no way that this could become a, you should actually finish this and publish it. Yeah. Was, it it kind of like got me back in touch with myself again and put some fun into my life. Fun. That's something else yeah. that we wanted to talk about, right? Oh, fun is, yeah, that's, you know, and that, that's an anecdote, I, or not an antidote for um, much of what we're talking about, you know, because so much of our unwillingness to write, even when we, when we kind of want to, but we're fighting it is because it feels like a should, right? It feels like, okay, how can I fit this into my life? How can I make this happen? How can I finish this book? Uh, whereas the things that are fun, you just, you just do, right? Like, like my son, when he has a spare second, he's playing basketball in the living room, right? Like he, he, he puts a, he puts a ham, uh, Close hamper. Um, yeah, puts a clothes hamper out and grabs a little ball and just starts playing basketball, you know, and he'll he'll do that for 15 minutes and then it's time for dinner. <laughs> and then, oh, we got 10 minutes. Dad, come play basketball with me, you know, for 10 minutes. And because it's fun, he just fits it in. And I think that if we could somehow see writing a little bit differently, I think we would fit it in. I think we would say, oh, I've got 30 minutes now before I have to go pick up the kids or I've got 30 minutes now while, the, while I'm sitting here and the kids are going to sleep or, you know, I've got 30 minutes before I meet up with a friend or after work or during lunch or whatever. I think when we see it as fun, we remember, because most of us, that's why we got into it, right? Like we loved it. We love to write. We, it, there was something challenging about it. There was something fun about it. And if it we was can remember more, that. I get to rather than I have yes, to. Yes. If we can remember that, I think, I think it will naturally fill in some of these little crevices that where we have time as opposed to us trying to check it off the list. Yeah. 
I love that. That's a great idea. It's something that I, I um, put in my classes sometimes and then time will go by and I'll forget to remind myself and to write, remind other people. There's a huge uh, amount of stuff going on under the surface of your own mind. And part mm -hmm. of it is just the words that we choose to use. And if we can re yeah. purposely choose different words and change it back to, I get to spend 15 minutes working on my book rather than yeah. I have to spend these 15 minutes because I said I was going to write every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes 15 minutes will turn into, well, I don't really have to do this other thing that I thought I had to do. So I'm just going to keep going because I'm on a roll and yeah, then you remember yeah, yeah. how much fun it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, now for people who actually do have a deadline and, and you know, you've had several, um, what would you say in terms of what we've been talking about? You know, there, there's fun and there's stress and, um, and there's deadlines. How, how would you suggest people try to, to manage those when there really is a date that probably can't mm. be moved? Yeah. So deadlines are, they feel a little bit different, right? Like they don't feel fun. Um, I'm pretty practical when it comes to deadlines. I have a spreadsheet of all the projects that I'm working on, whether it be co-writing or ghostwriting for other people or my own books. And um, I'll have every day what my word count needs to be at the end of the day uh, in order to stay on track to hit, you know, certain, certain deadlines. And I normally, I mean, one key I think for me has always been to not to procrastinate. I'm such a procrastinator by nature, but I realized pretty early on, I've been co-writing ghostwriting for 10 years now, 11 years. And I, I realized early on, okay, a book is not something you can procrastinate. Like I can't, I can't wait till the last minute to write someone else's book for them. It's just not, it's not going to happen. And so I try to start early with my daily word counts and have, and if you start soon enough, then they don't have to be ridiculously high and the other nice thing is if you start soon enough, there's some grace there. So if you have a bad week, all you have to do is adjust, you know, okay, well, what's my new word count goal now that I have to do in order to catch up? Um, so for me, organization has always been really big, especially when it comes to deadlines. Yeah. I was a um, editor for a magazine for, um, I don't know, a year and a half. It was a startup magazine. And then eventually it started down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I had decided that I wanted to do because I had been um, doing my own writing, I was like, okay, so now I have to get other people to send me their work. I need to make sure that there's nothing that needs to be changed and mm -hmm. this and this and this. And so I started padding the deadlines so mm -hmm. that if they sent it to me on the 10th when I wanted it, there would be plenty of time. But if yes. they were like, yeah, I didn't quite get it done. And I know it's a monthly magazine, but it's going to be a week and a half late. Then yeah. I still knew like, that I would have a tiny bit of room as opposed mm -hmm. to the story is going to have to just get, you know, thrown yes. out. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And that's, I think that's part of it too, is, is figuring out how your brain works, how, how you work as a writer, as a person, like what, what's motivating to you, what's discouraging for you. You know, like yeah. I think for some people um, I have a friend who he's a pretty well-known author here in the States and he does not look at his contracts. He doesn't know what his advance is and he doesn't know when his due date is. So his wife is kind of his manager and she knows all those things. And so he'll just start writing 
And then at the end of every week, she tells him, okay, yeah, you're, you're doing good. You're right on track. You know, just keep going. If, if he's falling behind, she'll say, you might want to pick it up a little bit next week. Like, you know, it's, it's, I think you should probably do a little bit more work. And, and so for him, he knows that if he knew his deadline and he knew what the word count was that was due, it would just be paralyzing. Um, and so I think we have to know who we are as people and how we work best and what motivates us. I love that. I've never heard of that idea. I know that there are people who, as soon as you said spreadsheets, like I wanted to hug you and mm -hmm. other people are like, no. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's really interesting. Not only think about um, what gets you going and what stops you up. I probably could have said that so much better if I had thought that through. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, yes, what motivates you and what discourages you, as you said, um, but then also pre-planned. So how can I handle that? And then what can I put into place so that I'm working um, to solve the problem before it barely even starts? Or maybe I can actually keep the problem from actually happening. Yeah, we have. So in our course, it's over nine months. And we have a place where participants can put in their weekly their weekly word counts if they want, and probably about a third do, and the rest don't. And I know for some folks, like it's really anxiety inducing to feel like oh I'm behind or I'm not going to catch up or um, to feel like you have to do that every week. For me and for the people who do um, participate in that, it's motivating. You know, it's, it, it makes you feel like, okay, I'm making progress. When I can see, like for me, when I start out and my goal is a thousand words a day, um, you know, for the next three or four months, four months, it's really, it helps me to see that I'm making progress when I see, okay, well, I'm three weeks in now and I've got 15,000 words written um, or maybe even 20,000. Wow, okay, if I just keep going, this will happen. Because a lot of times a book, you know, your progress in writing a huge novel can feel really nebulous, right? Like you feel like, ah, am I actually getting anywhere? I, yeah. When you get to the middle, when you're like 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 words, and it just feels like, ah, oh, I'm never going to finish this thing. But when you can look back and say, oh, well, actually, yeah, I'm right on track or I'm, I'm a little bit ahead, that can be really motivating for me. Yeah. Gamification is great for me. I, mm. I love... I love gamification and games in general, but also um, it brings out my competitive streak so long as it's um, so that I have found though, that there is what I would call um, not positive and negative as in good or bad, but positive kind of like moving forward and moving backward negative um, gamification. I can't remember the name of it, but there are people listening who are going to be like calling it out in their car. Um, the the one program that if you stop typing for more than five seconds or something, it starts deleting your letters. It starts backspacing. What? Right? What? I cannot do negative gamification like that. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But when- wow, I've never heard of that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, I can't- um, Write or die. I think that's what it's called. Okay. You should totally Google it. Oh my goodness. I will. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's a couple others that are, um, that are not quite that bad, but also that it's more the stick and I need the carrot. Like when mm -hmm. Nano started adding yeah. a lot more um, buttons, like you would get a button if you wrote mm -hmm. it all on November 1st, you'd get another yes. button when you got this and this and this. And so the first like 10 days, I made sure I got every single button, but then there was like no buttons between like 10 days and the midpoint of your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. I was like, 
yeah. And then I yeah. didn't write every day. <laughs> no swag. She's That's in it for the swag. I yeah. totally am. <laughs> but at least I got 20,000 words written in 10 days. So that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. <laughs> but it's good, like you said, to figure out like what does motivate you? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's like mm -hmm. my husband is totally um, enjoying having a writing sprint for 30 minutes before work every day. If that's his time. I'm like, yeah, yeah. awesome. I'm in the middle of exercising. I'm not really going to stop, but okay, fine. I'll stop. So I write with you. Yeah. Cause I'm like, okay, writing with other people is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it means I can stop exercising, which is also mm -hmm. fun. Well, that's true. That's a, that's a carrot, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, okay. You and I could talk about so many more things and I definitely want to have you on the show again. I love the idea of your class and you've got a podcast. Tell us where can people find you, your books, but also all the other cool things that they might be able to learn from you. Sure. So you can find me at seansmucker.com, S-H-A-W-N. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram with that Sean Smucker uh, hash, or hashtag Sean Smucker at. And then uh, you can find our classes are at thestoriesbetweenus.com. And our podcast, you can also find our podcast there at that website. Our podcast is called The Stories Between Us. And so if somebody is listening to podcasts, they can just uh, write that into their podcast app and find it. Yes. Yep. Excellent. Great. Listen, this has been super fun. I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. Um, thank you so much in the middle of moving and writing and procrastinating. We really appreciate, <laughs> we really appreciate the time you've given us today, Sean. Yeah. It's, it's always fun to catch up Kitty. And I, I look forward to following your journey a little bit more and um, yeah, look forward to catching up again.